This is the InterVR Podcast. I'm Chris Miranda, your host. Uh, and today you're listening to a very special episode. I'm joined today by Vasant Mohan, a.k.a. Fuseman, the one of the team members of uh, Fused VR. Welcome, sir. How are you? Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Sweet, sweet, sweet. So, so before we get started, um, I have two things I want to talk to you about. And those sure. are the Dragon Ball Super ending and <laughs> I want to yes. talk to you about those two things. Um, but before we even go there, before we can go yeah. there, I want to ask you about Fused VR. What is it? And give me a quick origin story. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, before Fused VR, uh, me and my partner Abdo at the time, um, or not at the time, we're still working together, but... Um, we were working on a project called Navi, which is basically turning your phone into a hand controller for VR. So this is like before Gear VR, like three dot controllers and Daydream controllers. And we're like, VR, at least especially mobile VR, which is what we had access to at the time, we were like, the input sucks. Like, why, why not use something that most people have, which is a phone? So even if you're using a phone and the headset... Um, you probably have a spare phone. Like, that, that was kind of the assumption there. And, like, if it can make the input even a little bit better, um, that was what we were trying to go for. Um, and then, so this is, like, even before Vive had launched, before Rift had launched, Gear VR had, like, just launched at the time. And we were, we were posting on Reddit, and, like, people were excited, but there weren't that many developers that were excited. And so... We were like, hmm, well, maybe, maybe we should go about tackling the problem of how can we get more people creating content in this space? And so that's where Fused VR came in. It's a YouTube channel that we've started uh, back in 2016 now. Uh, we do weekly tutorials uh, teaching you pretty much anything, uh, whether that's Unity and Vive, Unity and Gear. We've done a couple Unreal videos. We've done a couple Gear VR videos. Um, recently, have been doing a lot of mobile augmented reality videos, um, just because there's just so much happening in that space. There's so much happening in the VR space. It's kind of crazy. It, like we can barely keep up <laughs> at this point with the, like how much technology is actually coming out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, basically, our goal is to get more people creating content because at the end of the day. What we envision is that in order for VR to really take off, people need to be able to create content that they think their friends and family will be excited about. And that just means getting more people creating. How do you, so something that I, when I scroll through tutorials or mm-hmm. something I want to learn, I have a bias towards things that are older. Like if, let's say huh? something, let's say a video is a year old. You know, immediately I'm assuming, okay, there's got to be something better that's (laughs) a little bit more updated and that is closer to the time I'm in. And so what I'm wondering is, how do you keep up with, um, you know, Unity, for example, updating every month, you know, and and how do you keep up with, you know, the pace of the the industry with your tutorials and videos like that? So I, I guess, like, while I was at Fused VR, I also worked at Udacity, and honestly, like, that problem of updating or at... I guess to clarify, you, while I was at Udacity, I worked on their curriculum for the VR Nano degree, which is like a six-month program to get you from doing like knowing nothing to actually um, making your own VR content, whatever that might be. Um, and it's tough to, to actually um, maintain a curriculum, especially of that scale. Um, 
oftentimes things break. And in like a curriculum setting, that's that like the way I look at that is that it is extremely important for like the student experience to to actually be like perfect from like when you get started to make sure you feel comfortable so that you actually like actually start building stuff. On YouTube, it's a little different because it's impossible for actually us to <laughs> maintain everything. Mm-hmm. The, the way I look at YouTube is we expect some sort of kind of fundamental knowledge. Um, and this is like a really basic stuff. Like maybe you've looked at like Unity's documentation on like how to get started. And like from there, we can take you on to like even if it's like a year old or if it's a two year old video, we're kind of assuming that you know the basics to like when there is a bug to like debug it because it's it's like when it's two years old a lot of things will break and if that even if that's not the case like we're constantly in the comments like like on a two or three day basis i'll go through sweep through all the new comments and make sure like everything gets answered even like from like the most basic of questions to like even things that i can't actually answer Wow, that's really good community engagement right there. I wish I was I was as good as you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it it's like and like when I think about like our end goal, like it's like it's almost like we have to answer, right? Like yeah. if we want people to actually do things, like when they get stuck, I want to be able to help them out, whether that's on Twitter, whether that's on YouTube. Uh and sometimes even people other people help them out and that's like that's that's when I get really excited. YouTube is not the best about like actually uh, helping other people engage, especially on weekly content. But when I do see that happen, I get really excited. That's awesome. What does success look like for Fused VR? Um, so, I mean, it's a little hard to measure. Um, like, at a, like a very kind of um, high level, uh, it's honestly sometimes just going to conferences and like seeing people... Um, in the community um, who have started developing um, because they've seen one of our videos. Like, that's super exciting. Obviously, it's a really bad way of, like, actually measuring success, at least at, like, a company level. Um, but, like, at a kind of emotional level um, or an EQ type of thing, like, that, that's uh, really rewarding. Um, and recently, we've started actually working on creating... Um, Kind of uh, so, both Snapchat and Facebook have released, um, kind of opened up their camera platforms uh, with AR Studio and Lens Studio. Mm. So currently, we're talking to potential clients on uh, creating lenses for them to to promote their brands through these uh, social giants, if you will. <laughs> and these are AR lenses, right? These are those yeah. AR lenses for AR. Okay. Yeah, it's like one of those videos I sent you like right before this. Um, it's just like a little face mask, face mask that I was playing around with in uh, in Facebook's AR studio. Nice. All right. Very cool. Okay. So, so you guys are. So, this is the the next question I was going to allude to is how do you guys um, pay the bills? How do you guys keep 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 the lights yeah. running up at night? Um, so, like right now, it's so like I was contracting at Udacity before. Um, both me and Abdo are doing that, um, and Hassan is also contracting at Facebook. So right right now, it's really about contracting at kind of other companies while we're continuing to to build a brand, push out content, um, and like that's that's been working for us. Um, and like recently, we're kind of transitioning into this uh, this mode of like actually talking to businesses, seeing if the if that's something that they're interested in. 
how's the demand for contract work these days? And um, how is it compared to when you guys started? It's funny because like, I'm honestly probably the worst person to ask this because <laughs> uh, funny enough, like people have come to us about contract. Like uh, I didn't seek out Udacity um, and like a lot of like, like through Facebook, we've gotten a ton of messages for like different, like, can you build like the simple gear VR app? Can you build um, like this, like demo experience for, for Vive? If it's like a one or two minute things, uh, while I was at Udacity, I had to turn on a lot of that because, um, I mean, I, having kind of effectively two jobs at Udacity and like pushing out content for views, um, is a lot, um, but like that hasn't it's dwindled down a little bit, but like it hasn't really dwindled down that much. Like it's there's still kind of a constant flow of people uh, always looking for ways, like if they have money on how to to actually build content. Awesome. So let's say someone comes comes up to you and says, "Vasant, I just saw Ready Player One. I went to Best <laughs> Buy, bought myself a yes. VR Ready PC and a Vive, and I want to get started making VR." What is yeah. what? Where do you send them? Um, so Udacity on their catalog has a few free VR courses. Awesome. So usually that's the the first place I send people is like you will get it's three courses. One is like intro to VR, like what is VR, how does it work, really kind of the high level basics of that. Uh, the second course is getting into Unity, putting down a couple cubes, putting down a couple lights, uh, just kind of building a scene, no coding. And then the third course is kind of now how do we make things dynamic with scripts. So it's kind of broken down into these kind of self-broken down pacing. And like if you if you know how to, to code, you might jump into the coding section or maybe you'll, you'll jump into the Unity. It's kind of, kind of broken down on whatever is actually best fits you. Um, and if you actually know Unity and you know scripting, but you haven't really done the VR stuff, then I, I send people to the channel and I tell people like, what what do you want to build? And we've probably done a tutorial on that. What about someone who doesn't know how to code? You know, they mm-hmm. they I for example gone as far as playing around with animations in Unity. Yeah. Um, but I didn't get as far as scripting, and so and so I'm sort of like in a plateau where I feel comfortable <laughs> like designing environments and like you know p- putting like mm-hmm. objects around, but at the same time. I, I feel like, oh, man, if only this was a little bit more interactive and just feels like yeah. that extra layer of learning is such a mountain to climb just because I've been trying to learn C sharp and just just mm-hmm. to see if I can like get into it. But fuck, do I always fall asleep <laughs> 20 minutes into it? Like every yeah. time I'm trying to learn C sharp, like I read, go through a book or, you know, or I watch a, a video tutorial. It's like whew, right over my head. And so... <laughs> Is it is it and so what do you suggest like what do you recommend for people like that want to really really get into it but struggle with totally. learning how to program because I had a friend tell me once she's like um, you know uh, people who so go backtrack a little bit she's like yeah. computers and the way they were designed today they were designed by people on the autism spectrum she said. And and so and so they were designed by them for them, and so and, and it's one of the reasons why she says, um, you know, coding is so natural to some people and it's not to others. And I was yeah. like, holy shit! 
are you bullshitting me or is this like a real thing? And so, you know, I looked around in my the world around me and I see the patterns, but I don't know if this is a fact. I, I, I question I question that belief, but I'm still like, but I still see the patterns. And so I wonder like, is 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 the problem of teaching people how to be how to how to make VR? Is it is it actually the problem of teaching people how to program to some degree? Um, so I I think that's actually the, that scale is actually interesting because it's absolutely right that uh, programming was designed by people who wanted to go into a programming sense, and I mean you see like kind of breakaways from that with visual visual programming to me like i i can't actually stand visual programming at all but i get i get the appeal for certain people on being able to move blocks around and connect wires like that makes sense to me um at the same time i don't think i think anyone can learn programming like i don't think it's like uh a like an inborn skill that you magically you either can like learn it perfectly or you can't like I think anyone can and there there definitely are success stories out there um I I do think like talent which is always the case plays a role in like how fast you can learn but I don't think it's like impossible for anyone like it's it's possible for anyone to pick it up um as far as like actually getting into the into it um I actually do think the kind of concepts of learning as a whole, apply. It, it doesn't really matter what you're trying to learn. As long as you kind of have an end goal that you're trying to reach, you will figure out ways to navigate yourself there. And we're living in an age where, like, Google is your best friend ever, man. It's so easy to, like, especially with Unity, it's so easy to say, like, how do I um, make two objects collide and hit each other? Or, like, how do I, like, uh, go through a list of objects and pick out the right one? Like, the, there's, it, like I'm, I'm putting this in vague examples because I don't actually have, like, a concrete idea in my head of, like, what I would want to build right now. Mm-hmm. But, like, I mean, let's say, um, let's say um, you're building an FPS and you want to detect, like, when the bullet hits an object. That like you can Google that and literally you'll probably get like a hundred results, maybe more, on like people who have documented how to do that. That's how crazy Unity as a tool is, and I think it's really that you you have to figure out what you want to build. And it sounds like if in your case you're pretty close to what you want to build, and yes, there are kind of basics you need to learn, and that's kind of the basic grind of like. How do I create a basic script at, at minimum? Yeah. But like once you get over that like couple hour hurdle, it's really you can start going in and googling exactly what you want, and someone probably has a snippet of code that you can copy and paste, and then you start getting into the process of like, hmm, what is that snippet of code actually doing? And it could literally just be like one line of code, and like you can start to break it down and understand like, oh, bullet dot forward equals five means that this bullet is going to go like five units forward. Um, and then and then I think it starts becoming intuitive. It's not easy. I'm not trying to make it sound easy. But like it, once you iterate and iterate and iterate over that process, it starts kind of getting ingrained into you. And I think, like, honestly, like, once you have, like, an end goal that you want to achieve, like, 
fail, like trying to do it, failing, trying to do it, failing, trying to do it, succeeding, trying to do it, failing, like keeping gone, going in that loop will, will eventually get you there because you're motivated to get to that end goal. That's kind of the, what I try to convey to people of like, as they're trying to get started into the space. Yeah, I, there's, to me, there's two options. Either I, so what I want to build is, and I don't really care. I'll just say it out loud on the yeah. podcast. I want to build, <laughs> I, I, steal my ideas. Please steal my ideas. What was I saying? <laughs> I want to build an ebook reader for virtual reality. I want to be able to lay on my couch or on my bed and then, and then stare directly up and be able to read books. Yeah. Kind of, uh, Amazon Word Runner style. And yeah. so, and so, and so, what I wanted to do is I wanted to like figure out if there was an API for Project Gutenberg where I can pull in all that data and all those books for free and mm-hmm. you would have a Project Gutenberg ebook reader where you could take it on the go or with your mobile <laughs> VR or you can be on your couch with your Vive or, or your Rift at home and read yeah. books. And so I was like, okay, so let, me, so let me start with Googling. And I started Googling and I had no idea where to even start <laughs> because the <laughs> Unity isn't known very much for those kind of obscure, uh, more casual yeah. applications. And so, and so I, I was struggling with that. And so I'm going to bother you more. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> Please do. After this podcast, or, I'm going to be hitting you up and it'll be like, Vasant, how do I do this? How do I, how do I, how do I, that what works am I even too. doing here? Okay. <laughs> Like hit us up on Twitter. Like we're we're happy to help. We can't. It's hard to help everyone on a very specific case by case basis, but we can at least try to point you in the right direction. That is all I wanted to hear. Thank you, sir. And yeah. If anybody's listening to this conversation right now, please steal my idea so I don't have to build yeah. it. Just, steal <laughs> it. Just make it for me already. <laughs> I want to read books while in bed. That's uh, a good idea. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like I don't want to like. The thing is, it's like I don't want to be uh, holding out my arm because then I it know. falls asleep. I've had I've had moments where like my phone fell on my face because I was falling asleep, yeah. and it just <laughs> dropped it on my face. And so I wanna I wanna be able to like you know, it's yeah. the twenty first century. I wanna be able to read well uh, <laughs> with both arms. Uh, and I, I know, and it's like it's, it's always a struggle. Sometimes it's like it's one of the reasons I actually haven't been like reading in a while, like like reading actual books. It's just like. It's uh, sometimes there's just like a mental barrier to like find that like right comfy position. And like I always end up moving around. But like if I was like if I had like a VR headset and like I could kind of do that, like that would be sick. <laughs> Dude. Yes. So yeah. I'm, so I, someone build it, please. Either I yes. or I will. Because <laughs> one of us will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, very cool. OK, so I want to ask you about Dragon Ball Super because I think right. you are a uh, I, I hear your, your Dragon Ball <laughs> levels are over 9000 and I want to uh, 8000. 8000. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're a true. You're a true fan because you actually got that number from the manga, right? From the book. Uh, I, so I sort of in the, in the sense like I don't I haven't really read the manga. Um, I've like watched like I'm not like over 8,000 levels, like, <laughs> of, a, of a fan. Like, that, I I listen to a lot of people on YouTube. Um, there's, like, a YouTube channel called Geekdom 101, which I have, like, it's been really fun to watch Dragon Ball Super in cadence with that. Because, like, he has a huge community of people, and he'll, like, he'll bring on people to talk about, like, what's going on, what they predict is going to happen. It's It's always kind of fun to, like, be in a community of people who enjoy whatever you're watching and, like, to see it progress. So, like, that's been super fun watching Dragon Ball Super. Um, 
Sorry, I totally forgot what the question was. <laughs> well, the, the question was, um, I even forgot what the question was, but I'm going to ask you about the, the, in spoiler alert, if you haven't yeah. watched Dragon Ball Super, please <laughs> go on Crunchyroll and yeah. get one of those two-week me- uh, membership trials just for two weeks yeah. and then just binge, <laughs> just binge, just watch it go. for eight hours straight. It's it's worth it. And so, and, and then cancel your Crunchyroll subscription once there the two you weeks go. are up. Um, <laughs> And and so what I want to ask you is spoiler alert. What did you think of the ending? What how, how I I um I did not think Frieza would step up <laughs> and like and like help Goku of all people out of nowhere, especially because back in the day when yeah. <laughs> Frieza was the ultimate villain and they were the ultimate enemies. I would have never never in my whole <laughs> life would have imagined Frieza and Goku working together. Like yeah. I, I gotta say, the visuals on that episode were amazing. There was so much nostalgia thrown into that episode. Even, like, that last fight against Jiren, where, like, Frieza and Goku, and, like, Goku barely goes into, like, Super Saiyan, and you see the gold hair, like, Frieza in his, like, final form, just, like, going ham on Jiren. Like, there was so much nostalgia feels on that. At the same time, like, to be fair, I don't think this is the end of, like, Dragon Ball Super like, by any stretch of the imagination. Like, there's the movie coming out at the end of the year. There's, like, it's making it so much money for them. Like, they can't stop. I think it's just, like, they need to, like, get their bearings together a little bit because, like, it's, I know, like, on the animation staff and, like, as a whole, it's kind of taken a toll on that team. So, like, they need to recuperate, probably put out, like, 50 or so episodes before they actually go back on air. But I don't think it's the end for sure. And I kind of, like... I wasn't a huge fan of the ending. Like it, it's kind of it's 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 in a sense like teasing. Yeah, there's gonna be more for sure. But like we don't really know what that more is, and we're just gonna kind of let you fill it, fill that in for your imagination. Like that that was the ending. It wasn't really like a satisfying like like type of thing. Like we we all knew like all the universes were gonna get resurrected. Like I, to me, like it was the very cliche route they went, which like. That, to be fair, that's what Dragon Ball is kind of known Hold for. On, they go am through. I slow because I didn't know the universes were gonna get resurrected. It went the whole <laughs> time, the whole time, that was a shock to me. I was like, "Whoa, they really did!" <laughs> I, I like, I don't know. I, 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 I okay, fine. Maybe I, I kind of jumped the gun. I, I like mentally, I was like, "There's no way Frieza's gonna win this." There's no like Goku could win it and resurrect everyone. Vegeta could win it and resurrect everyone. Uh, 17 winning it, it was kind of a shock to me, but, like, it also kind of makes sense in hindsight. Um, but, like, once they, like, brought in the concept of the Dragon Balls, um, at the end, I, I mentally was, like, ready for that to happen, like, for them to fix everything. Because, like, it would have been a really bad ending for, like, Universe 7 to win and, like, leave Vegeta on a cliffhanger, like, leave, like, kind of all of Universe 7, like, trembling at the fact that everyone was killed. That would be kind of weird, <laughs> in my in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I think the whole idea of the Dragon Balls makes it so that, like... Because, uh, for example, I was thinking to myself, like, if I were Goku, I would never forgive Frieza. He blew up Krillin. <laughs> Did you see how he fucking blew up Krillin? Yeah. So yeah. I, I would have never forgiven him, but because there's Dragon Balls, I can revive yeah. my friend Krillin, and I can give Frieza a second chance. This and It's whole- also weird because... I mean, listening to other people in the community talk about it, like, people were really pissed off at the fact that Whis was able to resurrect uh, resurrect Frieza. And, like, it's almost a hack over the Dragon Balls. It's like, oh, 
we're friends with Weiss now. Like, let's just go ask him to revive all our, our dead friends at oh, this point. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's a really, like, like, the Dragon Balls, like, the Dragon Balls, like, for the longest time have been, like, in this state of, like, we don't really care about them anymore. We can get them really fast, and boom, it's that's that's it. Like, there have been kind of, like, things where, like, you have to wait a year or whatever, right? Um, if, if, that's, if that's bad, then just go to Namek. Um, and now, like, just go uh, go go through what, running through the universe to to get all of those like super Dragon Balls. Like they've been kind of been pushed off and off as like a thing that like it's taken for granted. But like now that Whis can do it, it's like yeah, we don't even need the Dragon Balls anymore. Let's just like revive everyone now, which is just like it's getting so much to the point that like death in Dragon Ball is like kind of meaningless. It's kind of sad, but true. It's it is. It really is. And I didn't even know that all it takes now is just some simple desserts <laughs> to give yeah. the wheeze, whiz and he's Exactly. He's, that's it. That's all it takes. Huh. It's, it they like I don't know why they decided to include that and they pro- like it's also like one of the things about t- TV series as a whole and I usually don't watch that many TV series. But like once you get so far into it, you start introducing these hacks that, like, you just, you do them once and then you never do them again. Like, I feel like that's what's going to happen to this, but it's going to be, like, a thing that all Dragon Ball fans will be, like, thinking about. It's like, why aren't they just going and asking Whis to, like, revive everyone? Like, it, that's going to happen, I know. It's going to piss people off, but, like, it's, like, Dragon Ball as, like, a franchise has been around too, too long for that not to happen. It's, like, the way I look at that. Yeah, but can't uh, like uh, someone like Beerus, like a god of destruction, completely like dis- like or evaporate you, and you- and and Whis couldn't even revive you? Wasn't there something that Beerus could do something like that, like a like a special uh, move or something where he could just? I think dis- Zeno can. Zeno erases Beerus. Ah, Beerus, I think, kills. I don't think he actually erases. Um, erases. You know, something that I really liked from um, Dragon Ball Super was being able to see not just the fights, but, like, when they're hanging out and they're just, like, yeah. eating or they're just, like, <laughs> having their, like, no regular, you know. There's a lot of domestic. good character development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My favorite one was when um, I, there was this part where Krillin and Goku were, like, on an adventure. And, yeah. and Krillin yells out at Goku, I could never be you! <laughs> and I was like, man, that's real! Yeah, wow. yeah. It's like Goku is like put on this crazy pedestal. He's he's a, he's such a weird character at this point. He's like, I, I'm just gonna train and get stronger, no big deal. And then like all the other characters are struggling to barely do that, except for Vegeta. <laughs> it's it's like it's like the way the series is progressing, like is super like it's super weird. Like at a power scaling level, I like there's always gonna be someone hard to fight. But like the character development, I do think is like what is the saving grace of like the series as a whole because it's always fun to see. Um, just those cheesy moments of the characters interacting with each other. I wish I could have seen a little bit more of uh, Goten and Trunks. Yeah. Goten and yeah. Trunks. <sighs> yeah. I, I wanted to see Pan more. Like that, I, I loved when they introduced Pan and then like, they totally like, tossed her off, but like, and at least like, she was like my favorite in GT, um, which I guess, I don't know if you really count that as canon or not, but regardless, like, I, I, I think she's like a really fun character, like, what is that fourth generation now? Um, no, I guess third generation. But still, uh, like all the kids, like they're they're like so much focusing on like the adults, like more so just like Goku and Vegeta. But like they're kind of ignoring the kids. And I wish like Gohan, Goten, uh, Trunks, Pan, they all got a little more limelight. 
Me too. Yeah, I agree. I also consider. I I'm not a GT hater. I like Dragon Ball GT. I, yeah. I had I had it was it was um, different, but it wasn't yeah. bad. And and who would win in a fight if you if you if if you had to put money on it? Super Saiyan Four Goku or Ultra Instinct Goku? Ultra Instinct, one hundred percent. Why? Like, uh, I mean, I think Super Saiyan Four is just a two hundred multiplier. Uh, God is a two hundred multiplier. God Blue is two fifty, and then Ultra Instinct is who knows, but it's definitely beyond that. Um, and Super Saiyan Four barely beat Shenron, and like I. I would put Shenron below Beerus. Uh, like, like I, I think... I mean, it's, it's hard to tell, like, who knows what the power scaling is. Um, but I, w- I will say, like, on a very different topic, I think, I think GT had, like, the best ending for Dragon Ball ever. I loved... Like, it just made sense for Goku to fly off with Shenron and, like, protect the world on, like, kind of a spiritual sense. Like, ah. that just, like, made so much sense. And I don't think they will ever actually do it. But, like, if they ever, like, chose to end Dragon Ball, like, that to me was, like, the best way to do it. What was the one Dragon Ball ending where there's a, um, it's Goku's great-great-grandson and Pan is the grandmother and he's crying. But all I remember in my head is a scene where he's crying in the rain. Uh, I think, I think it was a movie. That was one of the movies um following yeah goku's some generation far like maybe five or six i don't know um and then yeah he comes back and like it's a it's a continuation of the fact that yeah and gt he is like part of shenron and is kind of spiritually always there that is that that when i was a kid i think i was like nine years old when i saw that i think that made me ball up i was like no please come back goku But he's like also always there. Like that's that's the coolest part about it. It's like he's gone, but he's also always there. Like I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, he's 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 a really really good superhero. I think model to have because he's like because unlike Superman, Superman is just born strong. <laughs> yeah, Goku, exactly. Like he he like he shows you that if you work, trains hard, you get strong. And yeah. I think that's a. I don't know. I think that's a that's a, a noble work ethic to communicate to people. Yeah, I mean, I I love that. Uh, I think it was Screw Attack that did like Superman versus Goku. The reasoning was the fact that like yeah, Superman is born infinitely strong, but like Goku has infinite potential to, and which is why he can never be infinitely strong. But I I kind of like the fact that like Goku has to have that struggle to get strong as opposed to like like in the marvel comics it's always more of an emotional struggle because you're born with an infinite strength as opposed to like kind of more the anime side i feel like is you always have to grow stronger so what's gonna happen to beers now that goku is ultra instinct (laughs) hella strong and like he can't well that's that's another part that like pissed me off was the fact that like they were like oh yeah he can't do ultra instinct anymore like so he's now like weaker than beerus i was like wait why (laughs) like why why would you add that in like yeah, and like they intentionally like downgraded him, but then again, like then again, like they broke all the power scaling in the tournament of power. So I don't actually know what is legitimate or not. <laughs> I heard the um, uh, uh, was an article where the voice actress for Goku was saying like, "Yeah, I hope we do another show 
Uh, I will yeah. I hope we do another season soon. And I think I think she was alluding to the fact that she was going to retire soon or something. I think they that to could it. be it. I mean, a lot of that cast is really old, so like that makes sense to me. Um, I hope they do. Like I, I love the I'm. I grew up watching the English dub of it, and like for like for whatever reason, like I I really like that. Until I started watching the subbed version, like I'm always a huge fan of the subs, and I, like for whatever reason, I go back to the dub now. I can't stand the English dub. I really like the the subbed voice acting a whole of a lot better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I actually don't have an, a, a dog in that fight. I actually could listen to both. You know, I, I grew up listening to the Spanish version, and the Spanish <laughs> songs were fucking awesome. But other than that, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the reason for me is um, it's it's the same reason I watch all. I always watch subs over dubs. Is the voice acting actually gives you a better indication of the character? So in Japan, and I don't think this has been replicated anywhere, like as far as like dubbing goes, Goku is given this like kind of country bumpkin esque attitude of like being uneducated and like speaking in slurs and kind of in slang language. In like the dubs, that doesn't come across because you kind of they like in all dubs, you always speak a lot more professionally. And, like, you lose that part of Goku, which, like, that part of Goku, like, growing up, like, makes complete sense. He wasn't educated at all. He grew up in the country, um, didn't go to school, and so, of course, he speaks in slurs. Like, that, to me, I think is, like, it's an important detail that just gets lost in translation, but I wish it wasn't lost in translation. All right, here's a hard question for you. If you had to pick one of the seasons to watch, Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Uh Z, Dragon Ball GT, or Dragon Ball Super, which one? Would you choose? Uh, I grew up with Z. I think, like, I personally, it's it's a mix of nostalgia. I grew up with Z, but I think Ball have the better story. Um, oh, that's tough. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna pick Ball. I'm gonna pick Ball just because I I'm a sucker for good stories. Yeah. Yeah, Z Z was Z was really good for the action, the over the top action. Yeah, yeah. And I really liked it in the Majin Buu saga. Like that was when it was my favorite, actually. Just because That's it was yeah. interesting, actually, because for me it was the opposite. I couldn't stand the Majin Buu series mostly because it dragged on. Because at that time, if I remember correctly, like Toriyama had no idea what he wanted to do with the story, so he was like trying a bunch of different things. <laughs> It was like, let me give Goten and Trunks this fusion with Super Saiyan 3, because why not? And then let's not make it strong enough, because I want to actually introduce the fusion of Goku and Vegeta. And then let's make not that not, but make that break up apart, and then, like, do this and that and that. Um, so, like, it dragged on for me, and, like, there's a reason why. But it did add a ton of action, which was super cool. Yeah. My favorite are my favorite some of my favorite scenes are the finishing moves. So the yeah. the spirit bomb that that became a meme. Like hey, everybody yeah. put your hands up, <laughs> give them your energy. I was watching yeah. I was actually watching a uh uh esports tournament. I was watching um Sonic Fox. Have you heard about this dude? No. So he's a he's a Dragon Balls Fighter Z uh esports okay. tournament guy and he's okay. super good. And he was he was going up against this Japanese dude and they were going at it. And Sonic Fox was losing, and they were playing in America. 
And so, and so the whole crowd all of a sudden was like, everybody give them your energy. And they all put their hands up. And I remember seeing, That's just seeing hilarious. that. I was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is, a, this is the magic of Dragon Ball. Have you That's, played Dragon yeah. Ball Fighter Z, the game? No, I want to. I mean, I'm honestly, I'm not a huge like guy that plays a lot of fighting games. I'm more of an RTS guy. But the game looks really good. <laughs> I got. I will give them that. Yeah, it looks. It looks like how the anime should play. Like if it, if yeah. you're playing the anime, like it's just like that. It's so good, well yeah. polished. Feels like a Marvel versus versus Capcom clone. <laughs> exactly. Well balanced and yeah. yeah. <laughs> so now nice. let me ask you about Ready Player One. I think, yeah. I think it's that time, and it, I want to get your impressions on it. What do you think? Um. Ah, that is so tough. Um, I know. So it, <laughs> I'm conflicted so too. It's it, I, honestly okay. Here's my honest opinions. I loved the film. Um, there were moments that I hated. I hated. I think the overall theme that came out of it. I hated like certain certain parts. Like, I like for example, I loved replacing the cars or adding in cars over the joust game purely because like it just makes sense like to have something overly action packed as opposed to people playing joust like let's be fair like in in like if you're trying to appeal to like the broadest audience that makes a ton of sense the problem was it was it felt so obvious on how like if you had people searching for five years through the archives you someone would have found that clip and tried to reverse way before Wade did like that pissed me off oh, yeah, I also spoiler felt alert, like by the way spoiler oh, yeah. alert that pissed me off but it also like I felt like anyone could have like rewatched a replay of that and like figured out that Wade went backwards or like literally any of the other characters that did that that seemed weird they didn't really focus on the fact that like the sixers were always catching up to them like they just kind of introduced that at right at the 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 third battle which was like a weird jump because at that point you kind of assumed that uh at least from the scoreboards it looked like no sixer had actually catched up and then all of a sudden they magically knew that the the final thing was on planet doom which was weird Um, so there were, like, inconsistencies plot-wise, but visually, it just looked so amazing. There were so many Easter eggs put in there. A lot of care and research went into to gamer culture, and that really came out, which is, like, people complain about the fact that, like, they don't like Ready Player One, the book, and as a result, I felt like those critics were, like, putting their voice out and, like, oh, I watched the movie, it kind of felt like the book, and then, therefore, I didn't like it because it was overly simplistic. But I actually love that part of, of Ready Player One. And, I mean, I, I just felt, like, overall, I would give it, like, a 7 out of 10. Um, that are like, the parts I didn't like sucked, but I think the parts that I did like completely outweighed that and like overall i think the movie is super fun to watch and like i don't know if like you can necessarily it'll say it'll have like an impact on like vr history from like a technological sense but i think from uh, just like a, a visual sense it's just outstanding <laughs> yeah i like the I, yeah I, I feel like you I, I feel like there were a lot of there were a few scenes in there that were a little too cheesy for me they were just like uh, yeah and then yeah but i think 
as a whole, this was a really fun, really yeah. fun movie. Like, yeah. Like, if you ever want to watch a fun movie, like, this is number one on my list. Like, I don't know yeah. if it's thought-provoking. I don't think it's insightful, but it's definitely but, fun. Like, and, I'll, I'll, I'm definitely going to watch it again with some of my other yeah. VR friends. And, it, and, like, it's a good movie to watch for that, for sure. This is a good movie to, like, be play, have, have, like, playing in the background when you have friends over. Or, like, <laughs> yeah, totally. It's, it's a, it has great visuals. Yeah. Um, the cameos that kept popping up, Jurassic Park, <laughs> yes. Jurassic Park. Yeah. I mean, just over and over and over, just all these different cameos. I was in love with that. I really enjoyed yeah. the fact that they pulled all, all the stops on that front. Um, and, I mean, like, if you watch to the end of the credits where, like, they listed out all of the, like, references they made, that list was huge. And, like, I appreciate that, like, they went into, like, we're going to take and, like, ask all of this IP to be part of this movie. Like, I, I think that, like, really came out really well. Yeah, it's, it's such a good, it's such a win-win situation for everybody involved because, one, my IP gets more, gets, mm-hmm. like, more coverage, more eyeballs on it. Like, yeah. you know, how many people are going to go back to watching Back to the Future because of the DeLorean <laughs> featured in it or Akira yeah. or... You know, the Iron Giant or something like I mm-hmm. I'm, I was craving watching some Gundam after watching that. Gundam, <laughs> like, oh, my God. Dude, that was I know. Right. Big fight, by the way. I really, it really amazing. Liked it. Yeah. They did an amazing job. I feel like the book doesn't do that fight justice. But like, man, the movie does that fight so much justice. It's amazing. Yeah. They, oh, man, that Gundam fight was so good. So good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, and so do you think that they actually portrayed a realistic version of the metaverse with the Oasis or what do you think? Um That's tough. Um so I I so my take on it is if what they portrayed um if yeah, if if the tech what they portrayed was like the like norm like, because granted, the, what we saw was mostly kind of in, like, the slum type of areas. Um, if what they portrayed is kind of the norm standard, there's no way, I think, uh, VR would be as prevalent. Um, I think that's, like, my, my firm conclusion there. Just because the reasons that VR as a whole isn't taking off right now is because of people don't like gamer culture, even though I love gamer culture. Um, and... Uh, People complain about motion sickness or rather sim sickness. Um, those factors are all there. You're not getting away with sim sickness even on a treadmill. You're not getting away like, and most people there weren't doing like anything like of the sort. There was probably maybe six off controllers or headsets without controllers, is what it looked like. I might have to go in and watch that again to like get a better sense. But like, it's honestly, it's like VR today put twenty years in the future which I don't think takes off. Like, there needs to be technological improvements before VR takes off is the way I would look at it. Yeah, I think, I think, one, thing, um, I think one thing that's stopping people from adopting VR is the fact that you can't make money in VR right now. I, at least that matters to me. I think, yeah. I think and, and I think that the moment people realize, like, holy shit, I can put on this headset... And some way, somehow, I can render a service to someone or I can, you know, yeah. build something out and then I get paid? What? And I don't have to leave my house? What? Yeah. And wander around this endless metaverse? I think, yeah. I think 
that might because and that was the thing I saw in the movie that people weren't didn't really have jobs like I, especially in the opening scene I remember seeing someone mm-hmm. pole dancing and I was like yep <laughs> that's her job that she's yeah. making money in VR right now and uh-huh. I was thinking like you know maybe this is something that VR is missing today a, a real economy we don't we don't have that so I put out a question on our Instagram on I think Friday right after I watched it which is Sword Art Online, The Matrix, and Ready Player One all have real-world consequences for dying in virtual reality. So in Sword Art Online and The Matrix, it's like literal death in reality. But I think in Ready Player One, it's portrayed as economic. It's, it's an economic problem to die in VR in the sense that you lose everything, whether that's the keys, whether that's money, whether that's your items. You lose it all when you like literally die. And I think it's an interesting question to like see, does VR today actually need that type of consequence, like a legitimate, like even if it's just the economic standpoint of like, I'm earning money and I can use that in the real world. But if I die in VR, I also lose that. Like, I think it's an interesting question to ask. And like, I don't, what do you think on that? I, well, I think it'll make it more, comp- I, I, I think it'll make it, um, sub worlds of the metaverse will be very compelling because they have that feature. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't want the whole metaverse to be like that. <laughs> it would be insane. It would be like, yeah. be like, like how, how paranoid are you in a when you're flying around in E Valkyrie or E? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so, so imagine now, how would you feel if you were, you know, everybody would have a target on their back? It would be crazy. So yeah, I think. I think well I mean like I I think you would assume that there's like some sort of safe zones like otherwise yes. literally everyone would be killing everyone. Yes. Um that's exactly which is obviously not portrayed at all in the movie but I kind of like it was weird like they hinted at these economic problems like with especially with Wade's um I guess aunt and uncle but they they didn't like dive into it which I guess they didn't really have time to dive into it but part of me like if we're talking about like the the realistic implications about consequences in VR, like that doesn't really get addressed, and I kind of wish it did. Yeah, it, and especially because I'm thinking about like what what happened to that world, you know, what led them mm-hmm. to, and, and yeah, how did you get there in 20 years? Like what? <laughs> like that's crazy. <laughs> and how is it that like you're still running this 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 society, and people are wearing all these headsets all the time? Like mm-hmm. who's Who's cooking? Who's doing all the cooking? Who's doing all the cleaning? Like, what's going on? Like, exactly. Where are the robots? At least there should have been some robots. No, they had drones, and that was kind of cool. They had drone delivery yeah. pizza. That was that was kind of cool. That's yeah. true. I I would be down for a future with like drones delivering me any type of food. That would be actually no. I think I'd rather have like a machine in my house that like automatically makes that. I think that would be cooler. But drones are, I think, the next step. The replicator, that's what the 3D printer yeah, is trying to be, exactly. the, the hey. Star Trek replicator. That would be fun, but yeah. I, I think drones is first. <laughs> drones is first, yes, the replicators come, come next, hopefully, yeah. who knows. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> it would be insane, it would be amazing. Uh, so let me go back, to, let me, let's get back to VR, um, okay. because the other question I have is, you know, how do you grow a community in, in VR, like, and especially... In this sort of state of the industry, I mm-hmm. sort of feel like we're in the trough of disillusionment where, you know, things are, um, even still with Ready Player One, I still feel like it might have an impact, but I still think we're, we're, we're a little bit ways away before 
a more mass adoption occurs. Um, um, yeah, I mean, so I did a video a while back talking about like this, it was kind of like a news piece. Like one of the things that came out at GDC that I think is going to impact 2018 is standalone headsets. So you have Oculus Go, you have HTC Vive Focus, you have the Daydream Lenovo headset coming out, and you probably have a ton more. Um, probably Microsoft will make one. That's a little hard to tell. But, I mean, like, in the near term, I feel like that's going to impact it. But at the same time, it has... There's, like, a hard problem where, like, people who are developing don't know which headsets to target. And all these headsets have different input, and as a result, you're going to have scattered content with, like, no real right way to actually build that content. So as far as, like, keyboards go, as far as mouse, like, that kind of help the computer move forward. We don't have that in VR. And to me, that's like a crucial factor that's actually missing. Uh, I don't know when that is that de facto hardware standard is going to be put in place, but I don't think until then that VR can actually take off because you just have too many paradigms to deal with. Um, yeah. Do you don't think that perhaps um, the inclu- including voice and eye tracking would be that sort of, you know, in, in, maybe it'll help. solution? It'll help, but then you're going to have headsets that do have eye tracking and then don't have eye tracking. You literally draw, like, a table of, like, uh, does it have a three-dot controller? Does it have a six-dot controller? How many controllers does it have? Does it have eye tracking? Does it have haptics? Does it, like, you can literally go through all the input solutions, and, like, some headsets do, some headsets don't, and some people will buy one headset, and some people will buy another headset and expect all the content to magically work across all the different types of headsets, which just can't happen until you have a set, like, defined, this is the input systems that we're going to actually do. Or, like, to put it another way, you can do it, but you won't get the same experiences that people would be expecting. Yeah. Uh, so the next question is, what do you think it's going to take for VR to, to take off? Um, input is definitely one, at least it's a pain point for developers. Uh, as far as, as far as like content goes, I think people just need to make content that their friends and family can enjoy. And so that's like one of the reasons why we do the YouTube channel is so that people can start trying to do that. Um, and then I guess the third pillar is really, I mean, what everyone says is the killer app, which I, I've starting to lean towards the case where there are going to be multiple killer apps. Um, I think that's just practical. And I think fundamentally, I think we can actually narrow that down to whereas like the computer and uh, yeah, no, the computer was about productivity. The mobile, mobile device was about flexibility and like being able to do whatever you want, wherever you want. Uh, VR, at least in its current state, is about de- giving you the best experience that you couldn't have elsewhere um, and making that an experience that people will want to come back to. So whether that's like you can you can add layers to that by saying like add social VR into the mix so that the experience is always different but similar each time you go in. It's one of the reasons why multiplayer games are always popular is because of the fact that you're playing the same game, but your game is different because of the people that you play against. Yeah. That's, that's one way to look at that. Um, 
It could just be like various factors are kind of randomly moving. That's another way to, to influence that. Or it could even be that the people that go through an experience impact what the people coming up actually experience. There are multiple ways to do that, but fundamentally, it's kind of, it feels to me clear it's more about experience rather than, and maybe learning to some extent, although I think that's secondary, um, as opposed to, say, productivity or flexibility. That's not to say you can't do those in VR, but I don't think, at least with the input we have and where you can use VR, I don't think that's kind of the core features. Yeah, I think another thing that um, helps is sense of humor. Like, I mm-hmm. feel like a lot of, um, I, I have an experience that I just had from this past Friday in VR chat. I was <laughs> hanging out and there was this freestyle rapper trying to rap, <laughs> but he couldn't rap because he kept getting interrupted yeah. by like Ugandan knuckles <laughs> or a parade of tanks or giant yeah. spiders. Um, and at one point he, he was doing his, he was about to start his freestyle and I look to my left and I see a Ugandan knuckles, a uh, 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 green U- Ugandan knuckles. And he goes, hey, everybody, I'm go- uh, just out of nowhere, out of the blue. He says, I'm going to attempt to swallow my mic. And he goes, <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's laughing like, what? He came out of nowhere, out of, completely out of nowhere. And this is what keeps me coming back. Yeah. It's like that. Like this, this is com- completely out of nowhere. Um, swallows this mic. Everybody's laughing, and then, <laughs> and then, and then, it, and then I want to go back to this. I want to experience yeah. more of that hilarity. Um, and it was one of the things that I was like, man, if only Ready Player One could communicate how hilarious it is inside of VR. Like, well, the thing epic. is with Ready Player One, it was it's a very anti VR message at the end of it. It's like we're gonna close, and I, I actually need to go back and read Ready Player One again, but I don't the endings are very different if yeah. I remember correctly. Like there's no such thing as like closing the Oasis on a Tuesday and Thursday. And I get why they did it is because they, they know other than the VR audience that watches it, like the v, I feel like the VR audience would, would be really pissed at like closing the Oasis, but the, the rest of the world, I don't think would be. Um, and it's, it's really, a, it's designed to cater to those, uh, I feel like middle age and an older demographic of like to like uh, pl- plug pl- uh, plug out of like mobile devices, plug out of computers, and also plug out of VR. And I don't like that message. I I think it devalues the friendships and relationships and connections that you make in a virtual reality experience. And I mean, it it really devalues gamer culture as a whole because. A lot of friends are and people and like connections that people make are across the world in a in a place that they can't actually get to in reality, and just kind of that that message really pissed me off. Let me like just to put it blunt, it really pissed me off. Yeah, you know, and I actually I can actually see it both ways. I can picture myself being that executive at, at the movie <laughs> studio who's like. What the fuck? This movie yeah. is too pro VR. We're gonna send you. We don't. We have no clue what these headsets do long term to kids, and we're gonna yeah. put out a movie that is gonna make them. You know, remember when um, Project? I remember when Project G Force came out. The, this movie about mm-hmm. the guinea pigs. There was uh-huh. a there was actually a problem where like people were buying too many guinea pigs and it, and it got out <laughs> of hand, and so and so movies are effective propaganda. They really are, and I think yeah. that. 
this movie, someone at the movie studio was like, some executive was like, it was like, ah, oh, shit, this is too pro VR. We got to tone it down a little bit. Got to be a little bit more balanced. And then at the very last Fair minute, enough. they just included that at the end. I mean, like, even if it's not VR, I think it, if you're ignoring the VR aspect of it, um, it, it really does devalue gamer culture, which yeah. I think, like, if, like, there's, like, you go on YouTube, you watch any gaming video, a lot of the people that are playing there aren't in the same room. They're, like, across the world. And, like, that's the beauty that technology really lets you get. Like, that's what VR lets you do. That's what makes VR chat really special. And to just say, like, no, you have to be with the people that are around you, even if those people are, like, Wade's aunt and uncle, I feel like that's, like, it's the wrong message, in my opinion. I mean, I could be wrong here, and I could also be very narrow-sighted, but I, I just feel like it's, like, that, that part really made, like, me not like the movie as much as it could have. Yeah, not a perfect movie, but definitely is going to have an impact on the industry, I think. Uh, to know, who knows to what degree? Yeah. Um, but I read a, a headline that said that this was Spielberg's best opening in a decade or something. <laughs> Really? So, so, <laughs> That's good. Yeah, yeah. I hope I hope this... And the only problem now is honestly the cost. Uh, well, not yeah. the only... One of the many problems now is the cost. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which, which I heard might... There might be good news uh, because there's a company or a corporation who's working on Ethereum mining ASICs chips. <laughs> And so now people will, will will like have to like all those GPUs you know that you bought for Ethereum mm. mining are going to be worthless because someone's going to come in with an ASICs chip and um, destroy. <laughs> and and that hopefully that'll make it cheaper for the rest of us who want you know cheaper GPUs. Well, I mean, on the PC VR, like that's super awesome. Like on the standalone and like the near term future, like four hundred bucks for a like Lenovo Mirage Solo. That's a good deal for a six-stop headset with, granted, it's only a three-stop controller. Like, I feel like that's, that's like, that puts it in the console range, which I feel like people put, like, potentially might buy that. Like, you, we, we say, like, the Rift and Vive are, like, what, 500, 300 bucks, but then you have, like, a $1,000 PC attached to that. But, like, there's, there's an interesting compromise at $400. And then, like... Go ahead, sorry. No, no, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, Lenovo has... I think in in Google because it's a little yeah, Google yeah, partnership. Yeah. I think they have something on the hardware front. They had some. They have something very compelling. But I yeah. wonder if they're going to be able to pull off the content necessary yeah. to make it compelling mm-hmm. enough for me to spend four hundred dollars on it. That's. I mean, I, I mean, you can buy a PS4, but you have that giant library of content. You know how can mm-hmm. how can how can you spend? You know, if someone wanted to, have, if someone had four hundred dollars, would you recommend them buying a PS4 or a, or would you recommend them buying a a Google Mirage? Obviously, I I would say you would get more bang for your buck from the PS4. Uh, well, I mean, to be honest, like I don't think either of us has spent much time in a daydream headset because there was no reason to spend much time in a daydream headset. So true. I don't know, like it, all of the daydream content is going to port over to that that headset. And I feel like that's, what, 100, 200 titles? Maybe more? I have no idea. Um, that starts to become more compelling. Um, obviously not perfect. And, like, uh, like hour-wise, you're going to get way more bang for your buck with the PS4 than just, like, you have so many, like, 40-plus-hour titles on there. Um, it's hard to say. Uh, 
it not, then you're making the comparison, is a video game better or is a VR experience better? I don't know what the right answer is there. You got me there because it's <laughs> not the same thing. I, yeah. Although a lot of people will want to put it in the same category, they're not the same thing. And so, yeah, that's a good point you bring it's a, up there. It's a tough it's a tough call. It's I, a tough I have call. no idea what the answer is. Especially because I don't know of any app of any applications or any games who that incorporate six degrees of freedom, but they mm. also have a three degree of freedom input. Like I don't know of any yeah. games who are that are doing that, and so that I, um, I I'm in a wait and see mode. I, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm in a wait and see mode. I'm excited for it on paper. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I'm worried. I'm a little worried about it just because. You know, but what happened to VR? Like, does it seem like, you know, where, where does it feel like the industry is for you at this point? Are we, do you feel like, are, are you hopeful about the growth of the industry or are you feeling like this is going to be, you know, a very intimate, good old days, still kind of era for a little while longer? It's definitely good old days for a little while longer. Like, I, it's a patience game. It really is. Like, there's, in my mind, I'm 100% positive that in like 10 to 15 years, people will be using VR at a widespread scale. Um, whether that's tied to a console like the PlayStation is um, or Xbox or Nintendo um, or if that's something else, I don't know. But I know the price point is going to get there. I know the content will keep coming through. So it's just a matter of finding that right niche that gets one person, like finding that pairing of like one piece of content to the right consumer and doing that on scale, I think will eventually get people on board, but that takes time. Yeah. Tell me something. Um, what are the things you, you, that challenge you the most that, you know, in your, in your work with views VR? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there are a few things. So like one is consistency. Um, and that's something, uh, it's it's with so many different headsets and so many different types of content that you can put out. It's always tough to know what the community wants and what's what's most helpful for the most amount of people. Um, and like for us, it's just like keeping on grinding, putting out as much things as we can, and then seeing like what's the right fit for people. Um, on the tech side, luckily, a lot of things. Like with Unity and like tools like that, I feel like it makes it easier to put out a wide variety of content. But like even then, it can be tricky at times. Um, and like with stuff like like the mobile AR, like you have ARKit, ARCore, Lens Studio, AR Studio coming out. There are just so many different design paradigms. Like for for us, even though we're we can develop and we we can do the art, we we consider ourselves more of as designers and design, especially in VR, I feel like is the hardest thing because you're designing across a variety of headsets and variety of different input schemes and devices. And then you're also designing, um, you want across all of that, you want everything to feel good, which is always a tricky thing. Um, and there's no right answer to that. And it kind of depends on the experience, but I feel like in the VR AR space design, it is, Having an open mind to design is always the hardest thing to like get people to have. But like once you do have it, it's um, it, it opens the mind to the creativity um, of what you can actually do, and that's fun. 
Indeed. And I want to bring things down to a close. I have one yeah. last question for you. Um, mm -hmm. What are your biggest hopes for the future of VR? And I dare you to dream, sir. <laughs> um, you're opening up the can of worms at the end of this video, <laughs> at the end of this podcast. Um, okay, so, like, I mean, to answer that shortly, because I, I know we're, we're at the close here, I see VR um, and AR, um, both of them, um, as tools that can solve a lot of socioeconomic problems. Um, fundamentally, like the simplest way I can put it is VR fundamentally gives you access to effectively, uh, depending on the experience, it can be an infinite amount of resources, something that the real world doesn't have. And um, if, if you remove that resource constraint and can simulate a lot of things really properly, that, I think, removes some of the economic um, and social pressures that the world has, which, I th in theory, this is all in theory, but um, hopefully increases quality of life and happiness um, as a whole, um, and hopefully a lot of like the the real world problems that we have. It's 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 a big dream. It's a big ask, and I don't think we're going to get there anytime soon. But if we do get there, I think the world would be a lot better place. Vasant <laughs> Mohan, you sir, I've conclusively concluded are a true scholar and gentleman <laughs> of virtual reality. Uh, how can Appreciate people stay it, in touch and stay up and stay up to yeah. date with all the things you're doing these days? Uh, you can follow us on YouTube um, at FusedVR, or um, you can reach us on Twitter or Instagram at FusedVR. Very cool. I'm going to make sure to include those links in the show notes. Awesome. Uh, Vasant, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, totally. Glad. Thanks for having me. And bam! Don't hang up. That was great. <laughs> we did it.